Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today in this podcast, we're going to go a slightly different direction than we have in the last few episodes, or perhaps even the last 50 or so episodes. We're not talking to a property investment professional or a professional in the property space. We're talking to a property investor and someone that I would consider a property investment influencer who participates in a lot of the Facebook forums like Oz Property Investors and those sorts of things. We're talking with Jenny Mole, who is a property investor, and she shares her story about how she got involved in property, her story about becoming a single mother and continuing to hold a number of investment properties that were very highly leveraged, and how she actually continued to do that and further her property investment journey with private funding and development projects and all the things that she has been looking at over the last few years to look at her retirement goal and her future desired state. She gives some great advice at the end of this interview about how to decide what your goal is and how to design a pathway to get you there. And this is something that I think a lot of property investors can learn from. This is going to be a two-part series because there's just so much gold in hearing from Jen and her story. So without further ado, here's Jenny. Jenny Mole, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing really well, and I'm very excited to have you on the show today because you're you're quite a different guest to the normal person that we have, which, let's be honest, is often a buyer's agent. Uh, and you're not a buyer's <laughs> agent. You're actually a real person. Uh, <laughs> well, they are too, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> Big shout out to all my <laughs> friends that I've called human or something, but but you you your story is more about uh, an individual as a property investor. Now, for for people that haven't come across yourself before, how, how would you sort of put yourself in a box if you had to? In a box, um, I, those that know me, I'm pretty crazy. So, properties, working full time solo parenting to a four-year-old who's just as crazy as a mother. Um, <laughs> life's pretty hectic. Mm. Now, um, you are crazy in all the ways that I think people are going to love. One of the ways that um, we really see your energy shining through is through the Oz Property Investors Facebook forum that um, you and I have both sort of um, had a bit to do with that forum over the years with interviews and that sort of stuff. And your passion for property has made you, in my view, a property investing influencer. Now, you always cringe when I say that term. But if there is a property investing influencer, you've got to be high up there on the list. Well, influencer, I don't know. As long as people are are getting some kind of inspiration or some kind of guidance or value, I guess, um, whatever label you want to put, Mike, I'll take it. But, yeah, I've never – you're the only person that's ever said that to me. Well, I won't be the last, I can guarantee you. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, about your story. Now, you mentioned that you're property obsessed. You've got a, a real clever financial brain. Uh, when we talk about your story, I, I suppose um, you were involved in property investing, but I think where the real inspirational stuff comes from you're separating. You mentioned that you're looking after your four-year-old as a single mother. Can you walk us through that time in your life? Where were you at with property and and how did that sort of all go down to the point where you had to kind of really go for yourself and and build for yourself? Um, 
Well, basically, a lot of people have a story, but yeah, we, my daughter's dad and I bought uh, four properties um, in 15 months leading up to when my daughter was born. So uh, it was very quick, very rapid. Um, and and basically, uh, 18 months, she, so my daughter was 18 months old. So 18 months after she was born, um, her dad and I separated. Um, which was it was a bit of a rug rug being pulled out from under my feet. Um, you know, I hadn't hadn't planned for it. <laughs> not that most people do, not that anyone does. Um, but it was a big shock um with, you know, the the four properties were bought at very high um LVR. I we utilized what cash we had and two were at 98% lend LVR. And um, one was at 96 and one was at 80%. So if you think about what the hell do I do 18 months after buying, you know, $2 million worth of property at those percentage, you know, of being so highly leveraged mm. um, with an 18-month-old child um, just gone back to work after mat leave, it was, it was crazy. It was hectic. It was, it was, it was, it was hard time. Oh, yeah. I won't lie. It was very hard. Those LVRs just make me pine for the good old days. You know, 98% loan on investment property. Gosh, if, just think of what we could buy today if we could access that funding again. But everything changes, right? That's mm -hmm. the point. So back in that moment of time, I just looked at what I had, which was the cash. And the other thing I had, my daughter's dad and I had, were two good, solid, long-term um, PAYG jobs. Yep. And that's why we're able to utilise that. So it was basically yeah, looking at, you know, what's the best hand here? We can't do the LVRs today maybe, but what it doesn't change the fact that there's other things that are that can be utilised now um, that maybe weren't back then, in, you know, when, when the LVRs were easy. So there's always something. There's always, there's always an avenue to take and, and options and opportunity that might not be there next year. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it's an, that's an, a really important point to make because it's easy to sort of go, oh, well, you know, Jenny got properties at the time, you know, where you had those LVRs or where properties were X amount of price. And I think you can fall down a mindset where you're kind of going, oh, there's, you know, everything was easy back then, and that's why people got to where they where they were. There was, a, you know, a huge amount of risks in in buying something like that. You had to make sure it, it performed. You had to, you know, chip in out of your pocket to cover the shortfalls. And people that sort of saying, you know, you can't do it today. Well, you might not be able to do it specifically the exact same way, but there's opportunities no matter what the interest rate, no matter how expensive purchase prices are. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's just about seeing the opportunities that you have available because everyone's different, right? Yeah. So somebody, for example, back then that may have um, had a, a business might not have been able to get 98% land. Yes. LVRs. You know, so it's about just basically looking at what you have available to utilise and what's available being offered to you from the external environment and maximising the two now in any given moment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The variables always change, but there's always opportunities out there. And we're going to talk about some recent opportunities that you've executed on as well. But talk us through those four properties, uh, you know, in a in a period of, of um, less than, well, just over a year, right? Um, 
when when people sort of say, oh, okay, we bought, you know, my husband and I at the time bought four properties. Uh, we want to make sure that you're relatable, right? Because people just kind of go, oh, well, you know, if they were able to do that, then there was something special. They were on a million dollars or or something like that. You know, talk, talk to us about the mindset uh, behind that and how you got to that position. And um, I, I think, if you had done that at sort of 20 years old, there'd be there'd be some story of money sort of sent to you. But you were in your mid-30s and saved for quite a bit to be able to set yourself up by pulling the trigger on those properties, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I wasn't a good saver. I was on low incomes for many years. So, yes and no, if that makes sense. Um, but I had the opportunity to live at home. That was a big one. But I also chose to live at home to save for the house, you know. So that was a, a part probably two years or so leading up to it. Um, yeah, so have I lost you, Mike? No, got you. No, good. Um, so that was a big part of it too. But uh, my daughter's dad did have a house that he sold, yep. which we did utilise for the deposits. So, you know, there's there's always something though. There's always something, oh, I didn't have that, I didn't. But everyone always has something, right, because I've yeah. said that many a times too. I didn't have any... Um, I didn't have lots of things. I didn't have anyone to give me guidance. I didn't have, I mean, I, I had people around me saying, what are you doing? This is crazy. I had my dad shake his head when I told him I bought my fourth property. I still remember the look on his face. You know, I look on his face as he took that big deep breath and, you know, looked downwards and those sorts of things. I mean, if I'd focused on what I didn't have, well, I'm probably not going to be inspired to to do that for action right but I just thought look just worked on what I did have and that was that was our steady jobs that was I think from memory it was about 200 and all up about 239 cash which was a combination of my personal savings um my daughter's dad's personal savings um the sale from the profit of the house that he had with a mate that he halved like it was a combination of all of the things um but it was recognizing that we didn't have a dependent and basically, so Feb 2017, the first was, and that was mine. Um, and then June or July, I think, we bought Manning Point, um, which was supposed to be a holiday house. It was, wasn't a great investment, but it's turned out to be one of the biggest growth ones. So go figure, right? Yeah. <laughs> Rent's fine too. Um, and then I found out I was pregnant in the September um, of 2017. And then October, we settled on Cardiff. And then we moved, we settled and moved into where I am now in, in my home um, in May. So two weeks, my daughter was two weeks old. So she lived in the hospital, <laughs> Elmovar, which was my first one, grandparents' house for two nights. And then here in the first two weeks of her life, the poor darling. So. <laughs> She's uh, she's moved around a little bit uh, before she even knew what was happening. So you're you're I so that's the timeline anyway. So just yeah. to give the rough, you know. Yeah, and and the real kind of I suppose the Rubicon moment for you is is at the separation where you know basically there was obviously a negotiation around properties and cash and all those sorts of things, but you ended with those two two of those four investment properties, but very very highly leveraged as uh as you know the I, I presume the primary caregiver for your child as well and you know having to negotiate well, well what can I do and I, I think 
you know, off air, we talked about how a, a lot of people would quite possibly have, have liquidated those properties to stop that debt sort of having uh, to being over their head, to, to give them a little bit of breathing space to f- deal with the fact that their marriage has just ended, right? Because that's that's another thing that I think we're kind of glazing over, right? There's a lot of, you know, emotional and psycho- psychological stuff that comes with a big thing like that happening in your life. But um, rather than that, you you kind of changed sort of gears and you didn't really stop. And as uh, as you said off air, as a property investor, we don't sell things, right? So you just found a way to oh. work. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. I'll tell you now, I remember my daughter's dad saying to me, this is your empire, you know, like, Sign the paperwork, of course, but I remember him saying, it's your empire, you can have it all. Yeah. But I needed to find $100,000 to buy him out. Those properties have increased in that time. I can't, don't, blah. I just would have stole, I should have robbed a bank. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should have found a way, honestly. But nonetheless, um, it shows you where my mindset's at, right? So, so in as opposed to thinking, holy wow, I've got, you know, so much debt and they were neg- that negatively geared at the time as well, mm. um, highly leveraged, negatively geared. Um, and instead of it, instead of it considering, like I didn't even consider selling. It wasn't an option. I'm considering how to keep all four of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to <laughs> like think ways. Where do I get 100 grand so I own them all? I, I remember having several conversations with how do I get 100 grand and I probably didn't pursue it enough. I didn't have, I probably just, I, I, yeah, and again, the emotional side of stuff too. So I think, yeah, I think in the end where we ended up was 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 reasonable and we, and we split them down the middle and kept two each. So. Yep. so you've got your daughter to look after who's, you know, under two years old. Uh, you've got uh, these negatively geared properties where you're actually having to chip in money just to keep them going. So how were you able to to manage that situation? Was it a matter of just getting straight back to work just to be able to service those because you knew the long-term fundamentals were there? Well, straight back to work isn't a thing. Like I'd already gone back to work. I'd had my maternity leave. Um, so I was adjusting to going back to working full time. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, there was no. I only. I didn't even have a sick day. <laughs> it was just. It was just business. As you, it was just get on with life. Because mm. what? What else do I do? Rock in the corner. I, I mean, ugh, yeah. I, I just. I. There's no other option. At the end of the day, I saw no other options than to just. Get on with life because it is what it is. And that's, I mean, that might be 14 years of uh, sitting on my psychologist's couch. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's, and it's, it sounds like, oh, yeah, it's easy to say. And I remember at the time, I call it my crazy time. So even to my daughter's dad, I'll say, remember, I was like super cray cray for like two months. Yeah. <laughs> that was that period. <laughs> I was crazy. I knew I was crazy. 
I knew that I was irrational. I knew I was emotional. I knew my logic brain was not in play. Mm. Um, But my knowledge and my passion for property just didn't allow me to to give up. Mm. Well, I I think, you know, when you've got, when you've got something to to strive for or a goal in front of you, and and of course you had your daughter as well, right? That's, you know, it's a it's a luxury to be able to lock rock in the corner that a single mother's not going to have, right? Um, so you know, of course you had that, but you you know you had that dream and that goal of of property, and and you weren't done, right? And and from then on, you you continued down that path. So so talk us about that. Not only did you hold on to those properties, but that kind of wasn't enough for you and you're still thinking about property today well i've still got the re- be able to retire at 50 goal in my head yeah like that's that hasn't changed so i had a plan with the four properties mm-hmm. um and i had a plan to pay them down in 15 years so that they were actually just the income producing we didn't have to do anything else but pay principal and interest on these properties for, yep. for whatever the amounts calculated amounts were um so that goal didn't move right all that happened was the strategy changed so my resources were less um in some aspects um but then i built resources in other aspects right to make up for it so i built knowledge i built you know what was available free to me and things like that um so it, it look we've all enjoyed the last few years with growth yeah yeah i got lucky because when i when we first split I was looking at paying um, letters mortgage insurance again, mm-hmm. having to pay it again when I transferred the title right. titles. By the time we got through it all, because it's a nightmare, stamp duty exemptions, court orders, all that, by the time we got through it all, the growth had already hit. Yeah, right. And I didn't have to. So there's a lot that, look, there's a lot of luck in those sorts of things too, right? Um, but you've got to be. Go, but I had a fallback. Right. Yes, definitely. But I still had a fallback, so I still ensured that I could borrow with lenders and all that sort of stuff for the two I was keeping. I still, I still had a fallback that I could afford to put the LMI into the loan, and I could afford. I still had a plan as a worst case scenario, um, but you know things got better. It was a bit easier, um, and so it took quite a few years to do that. Um, and then once once I'd done the title transfers, um, I sat with. Well, I sat with my broker beforehand and said, I want to make the most of this transaction. I don't want to come back and re- refinancing loans is horrible, right? Like no one enjoys that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, I-, I want to maximise this title transfer and loans now and make the most of it. So she sourced for me, um, you know, different valuations because I wanted to release equity if I could. Yep. Um, so we went through all of those sorts of, with, with, you know, weighing it up with the rates and things like what's what's the one that lands in the middle it's the best case overall um and yeah so i released equities so i didn't know what i was releasing it for (laughs) i just knew i well i just knew the opportunity was there to do it right might not be there tomorrow which it isn't because of what's happened to interest rates so it was a matter of just striking whilst that iron was hot the interest rates were low those sorts of things so um i released that cash um without a massive plan um and then two weeks later became a private lender for a um development so because the opportunity came up so yeah. i didn't have the cash for very long <laughs> no you didn't um 
No, and did I release it thinking, oh, I know, I, I have a plan, I'm going to invest this money here? No, I didn't. Um, but I would just ensure that I was well positioned to take an opportunity when it came along and I, I just knew that it was there ready to go and I'll know what to do when the right opportunity presents and it did within two weeks. Uh, I mean, when you said you were mad, I mean, this whole situation seems <laughs> mad. You're pulling out the equity. What for? Well, I'm not sure now. But, you know, something might come up. <laughs> two weeks, you're a private lender for a development deal. Talk, talk to us about this development. Uh, what, what are we talking about? What, what is your role? You know, what are the sort of contractual arrangements around this and what do you stand to gain from it? So this is a – so there's a couple just in case because I think you know about one that I'm managing that's a different one. So this is actually I – just, I just privately lent money yep. to a small developer. Yep. On a fixed return mm -hmm. uh, contract. Um, well, the first one wasn't it. The first one was a, a sum of money because they had a contract of sale already yep. for a development that sold the development, but the private lender that had gone in initially needed to be bought out. Yeah, okay. So it was only two months. Um, and so I negotiated rather than the per annum that was offered to me. I went back and negotiated um, and set a set amount that I wanted because obviously you divide a you know, per annum percentage by 12 and times it by the two months that it was going to actually be, Yeah, it's not a great deal of money. No. Um, so I negotiated back on that um, and, yeah, got my money back two months later and it made a very nice amount of money um, mm. in that period, um, which and then I think uh, I then put into privately lent it back to her for another development that we'd already planned on doing yep. um, once it came back. Mm. How does an opportunity like that present itself to you? I mean, the amount of times developers have asked me to chip in a little bit of mezzanine funding to get a project across, across the line, I could count on, well, my elbow, right? So how did that, how did that come to, to pass for you? I, so I, I've been following her for a few years online and we, and we chatted back and forth and, and I watched her projects and I watched, you know, how she broke it down, how she explained things and I just, look, I'm a gut feel person, right? So I, I've had, trust me, I've had plenty of people message me asking me to private lend for things and I'm not interested. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a gut feel thing. So I knew the work that she did. I liked the small development and I, I just kind of trusted her. I'd seen her previous work. Um, people spoke highly of her. Um, yeah, and so it, I was a, just in one of her groups or something online, a small development group yep. um, online. And so, yeah, when she, she just posted that she needed, believe it or not, the exact same the exact amount of money that I released as <laughs> like it was a sign um, that she, um, yeah, was looking for that um, to basically that's what she wanted, um, contact her if anyone was interested. Yeah. And I'd, or, I'd already messaged her about maybe, you know, a property I was liking locally for development like a week prior or something. So it wasn't like we, we didn't chat. Mm. Um, but we hadn't done business, basically. Yeah, um, yeah so it, it, she just asked the question and, and I jumped on it. Yeah, and there's opportunities like that around in all sorts of different Facebook groups and I'm sure there's probably 
Reddit threads or or wherever people connect, right? So those those deals are there, um, and I'm I suppose that you had a, a professional conveyancer or solicitor that that drew that up for you, so you were completely confident in in the risk reward and the protection ratio. Yeah, yeah. So the contract, um, yeah, the contract had a few bits and pieces in there. Um, I had a professional review it but I didn't pay them to, uh, I didn't engage their services um, because it is a trick. Well, it is a tricky one, right? Yep. At the end of the day, and and I'm I'm not making a lot of money in this two-month deal. I'm not making $50,000. Am I going to spend three grand on it to a yep. solicitor to review a contract? So I kind of used local, my personal people that, you know, professionals that know me personally um, and just sort of said, like, what do you think? Is there any big things in here? Yep. I don't feel I'm missing something. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I've, I've also, um, in career, um, I wasn't new to contracts, right? Mm, like okay. I, I was a, a cost controller for a $7.8 billion project. You know, I've seen contracts, I've seen, you know, so I kind of, I'm not saying I know what I'm doing, but I'm just saying it's, it's. I wasn't completely, like, completely green, I guess, in, in looking at a contract and being able to understand the wording and, and those sorts of things. All right, so we're going to wrap the episode up now, Jenny, before you share any more of your gold. Thank you very much for your help in part one of this two-part series. We just realized there was so much gold that we needed to split this into two. So stay tuned and next week we'll be sharing part two of Jenny's story. Thanks for joining us.